Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Good morning. It's 8:30 on Tuesday, February 27th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, hear tape from the 2024 State of the State Address and how lawmakers are reacting. Plus, federal judges consider if the state's legislative districts violate election map laws by diluting the black vote. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Tate Reeves is challenging lawmakers to invest in education and economic growth. This is a state that is based on timeless economies, agriculture and forestry, manufacturing and industry, tradesmen, craftsmen, cultivators and workers dominate our land. We make things, real things. We make fridges and fighter jets. We make cars and sow cotton. We make bullets and grow soybeans. You can touch our work and know that highly trained, capable, proud Mississippi hands made those products. That's from the governor's 2024 State of the State address yesterday afternoon at the Capitol. The governor says much of the manufacturing jobs have been outsourced to countries like China, and he wants to claw those jobs back to the Magnolia State. In every C-suite in America, they know the need to reshore key industries. They know that we need to bring the work of making things back home. For our economy and, more importantly, our national spirit, we cannot only be a nation of importers. In all that time, Mississippi never stopped making real things. And now, as our national culture catches up to where we've been, we can say with our chest poked out that this is Mississippi's time. To make that a reality, Reeves says there needs to be a robust and educated workforce ready to take on those jobs. He cited several major industries already in Mississippi and the state's natural ability to be a logistics hub as resources can be tapped for further economic growth. But to ensure the world cannot deny it, we must continue to invest in our infrastructure to make our logistics second to none. One of Mississippi's greatest economic and logistical assets is our ports. We need to develop a plan of action to address our ports backlog of maintenance and capacity projects. Investing in our critical ports from Vicksburg, which handles 14 million tons of freight annually, to Gulfport, where the global maritime shipping industry requires increased channel depth, will yield economic dividends all across our state. 
we will attract more companies, create more jobs, and secure even more private sector investment. We must also continue to invest in our airports to meet the demands of industry. By increasing capacity of our hangars through the Airport Improvement Loan Fund, we can take additional steps to attract global interest in our state. The governor also says education reform will be a key factor in his plan to grow the state's economy. But while lawmakers have set their sights on addressing education funding in that formula that is controversial, Reeves is looking to private and charter schools as a possible solution. We must take full advantage of the Mississippi miracle and ensure that our workforce grows beyond most improved and into the most undeniable. You know how drastically we have improved our schools and that the nation's education reformers are all asking how they do what has been done in Mississippi. We've gone from bad to good. Now we must discover how to go from good to great. We must be innovative. We must be open to new and different models. We should fund students, not systems. We should trust our parents, not bureaucrats. And we should embrace education freedom. He says another way is by building more schools within the public education system that are aimed at getting students ready for the workforce. Just one example of how we can help accomplish this is by expanding a model that has worked on the campus of the Mississippi University for Women, the Mississippi School for Math and Science. To build on this model, I propose that we create 12 mathematics and engineering magnet schools throughout the state. By establishing eight pre-K through eighth grade schools and three more high schools, we can help to ensure Mississippi kids are given the education required to be successful in an increasingly technological economy. Notably absent in Reeves' remarks are any comments on the state's health care system crisis or the Republican House and Senate bills to expand Medicaid for the working poor. When we come back, hear reactions from lawmakers about the governor's address. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. For MPB's Moments in Black History, we highlight Denise LaSalle. After finding her voice in the church of her childhood home of Belzona, she switched to R&B music and in 1971 created a number one hit, Trapped by a Thing Called Love. But it was not until she signed with Jackson-based Malico Records that she became known as the Queen of the Blues. In 2015, Denise LaSalle was even inducted into the R&B Music Hall of Fame. This has been MPB's Moments in Black History. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Governor Tate Reeves' 2024 State of the State Address focuses heavily on building Mississippi's manufacturing and logistics industries. In the crowd for that speech, Republican Senator Josh Harkins of Floyd. He tells our Will Stribling he's glad to hear the governor focus on building the state's economy. 
Uh, I think the governor hit on a lot of uh, good, positive high points. I think he talked about the success we've had, kind of the, the momentum that we're on right now. Um, and I think he just tried to expand on it and, and wants us to recognize the opportunities that, that lay in front of us. Yeah, what did you think about some of those calls he made as far as investing more in STEM education and um, trade uh, trade school opportunities and that sort of thing? Well, I think, I mean, we understand that in today's society, trade schools are, are important. Uh, we all, we need electricians, we need uh, HVAC uh, technicians, we need a, a lot of different uh, trades in order to uh, succeed in our state, and I think if you look at construction industry, I'm in construction. If you look at construction, I'd say there's a there's kind of a concern that there aren't as many tradesmen out there as there used to be, and so uh, I think he has a valid point about that. I think no matter what proposal the governor makes or any legislator makes, the devil's in the details, and you know how where is the funding going to come from? How are we going to implement it? And you know we should look at all of our um, policies to make sure that what we're funding right now is actually pertinent it's uh it's meaningful and that we're getting we're getting positive results from i mean from time to time you have to take inventory and make sure that the 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 things that you're funding are and in fact providing a benefit to the state and to the citizens yeah a through line through his whole speech is about just the the opportunity in the state right now as far as like making just generational investments for the future that's also been a big theme of the lieutenant governor's rhetoric through this mm-hmm. session so what do you think legislation uh, y'all's side of the chamber y'all are you excited about and you think are doing that making the investments needed to set um, our people up for success in the future well i think if you look at the first part of the session with the two special sessions we had um i think we spent some we were intentional in spending money on site development for mega sites across our state site development is important and i think we've seen firsthand that being uh ready and speed to market matters having a site that has got all the infrastructure that has the water the sewer the roads all those type things and you have a a a piece of land that's ready developed now is is tantamount to the success of economic development opportunities it has to be ready to go these people are looking for speed to market they're not looking for a vision that hey in five years we can create this uh this this oasis of an industrial park, we need to have it ready to go now. And so I think we've been intentional in our investment in site development. That's one example. Uh, and I think the governor, you heard him here, calling on more funding for site development across the state. We need to have other sites ready and available for these um, companies that are looking to locate here. Obviously, you've seen it with the momentum we've had with these last two announcements. Um, and there's a lot of other people that are looking, taking note. That's Republican Senator Josh Harkins of Flowood. Also attending the address, House Democrat Sakia Summers of Jackson. She says it's good for Mississippi to push for a better economy, but says the governor never touched on major issues being discussed this legislative session, like Medicaid expansion and the hospital system crisis. It, it was pretty straightforward. I, I thought it was generic Governor Reeves. But I was a bit shocked that it didn't have that feeding into the base rhetoric. Um, He did lay out many of his priorities, which, I mean, generally they sound pretty good. Of course we want to invest in infrastructure. Of course we want to see our students do well. We want to prepare them for the workforce. Um, I like the idea of doing some of the STEM magnet schools and capitalizing off the research institutions because he's right. I mean, we're leading the country in that. He did talk about education freedom, which we know is, you know, a, a huge part of the Republican agenda. So that wasn't surprising, although I don't align with that. 
But the last part that he talked about was around this bipartisanship effort. And we did come into this session really from the leadership of the speaker that he wanted us to work more together. And I will say that the atmosphere is different. The energy is different. There are opportunities now where there really hadn't been before, uh, at least in my first term, where we are seeing an, uh, an effort to really work across the aisle. But I would like to see the governor's actions match what he's saying. He's, he's talking about the need to work together, and yet we're seeing him give a lot of pushback about Medicaid expansion, which we know the majority of the state wants to see us do something about this. This is a hot-button issue, and we're seeing even the House and the Senate come together to try to put uh, a good, strong piece of legislation that will benefit working Mississippians. And so... I would like to see Governor Reeves, you know, really back his words with action and with support of the things that we're trying to do in the legislature that show that we're working together on a bipartisan level. Yeah, the the complete absence of any health care message from his his speech was, I think, the most glaring omission. Like, what did you think about that, that he just knows that he's on the minority side on this issue? You know, he made that comment this week that it was – you know, mostly Democrats that want to see Medicaid expansion, but now we've seen Republican efforts in both chambers to get ex- expansion uh, passed. So just you think that th- that subject was not talking about because he knows he's on the minority in, in this issue and where it's headed as far as lawmakers are concerned? Absolutely. I think he knows that he's in the minority on this. And like the lieutenant governor said that, you know, we've got to, he said something about we've got to get people off the boat and pushing the boat. Governor Reeves talked about having timeless economies and making sure that we're supporting our own workers. Well, in order for us to have a workforce uh, in the state of Mississippi, we've got to first make sure that they're healthy enough to work. And so they go hand in hand. Um, We can't talk about making sure that we're creating space for wealth, prosperity, and longevity if people are not able to overcome some of these health disparities and the terrible health outcomes that we have in the state of Mississippi. So I'm I'm aligned with Governor Reeves on that. I do want to see, you know, our boys and girls have opportunities for them to be able to work and build generational wealth. But we've got to do the work today to make sure that we have a workforce of the future. And I think, you know, that that it, a, a huge part of that is making sure that they have access to care. And that's through Medicaid expansion. And so I hope that Governor Reeves will get on board with that. We've seen him do a lot of big talk on some of these controversial issues in the past, the flag issue, postpartum issue. And then he kind of backs down when when he sees that uh, he's probably on the losing end of this. I don't want to back him against the wall or back him into the corner. I want him to see that this is something that is going to help all of Mississippi. And he talks about being the governor for all of Mississippi, whether folks voted for him or not. This is an opportunity for him to show that. That's our Will Stribling speaking with Democratic Representative Sakia Summers of Jackson. Coming up, federal judges considering if the state's legislative districts dilute the black vote. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for your sustaining financial support of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. No 
matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone. Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology or tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A federal trial underway to determine whether Mississippi's state legislative district map, redrawn in 2022, is illegal. Both the NAACP and the ACLU of Mississippi, along with several black voters, allege the map violates the Voting Rights Act of 1965 by diluting the black vote. When new maps were being drafted in 2021, the timetable for lawmakers to pass a redistricting bill was shorter because the census data was delayed by the pandemic. So several alternative maps were submitted to the legislature for consideration, but lawmakers didn't respond to those suggestions. Jarvis Dorch is executive director for the ACLU of Mississippi. He tells our Mike McEwen the districts in this new map are extremely either white or extremely black. We argued at the time, along with other groups, that uh, Mississippi's current legislative maps did not provide uh, black voters with the appropriate amount of voting power. That means that uh, the maps were drawn in a way that limited black voting strength. Um, the maps really packed black voters into a select number of districts. Uh, and that was going into 2021. And what we argued then was that the legislature should adopt maps that adequately reflect the state's population. Instead, they doubled down on the existing maps and made the maps even worse and um, continued to pack black voters into a few districts in the House, a few districts in the Senate. And that really uh, diminishes black voting power throughout the state. And what does this process of determining what these legislative districts look like? What is what does that process look like in the legislature? Uh, in Mississippi, it looks uh, pretty much like a a select committee is created, and that committee um, meets behind closed doors and comes up with maps that they present to the public on one day, and the next day they vote on them. Uh, it isn't an open process at all in Mississippi. Uh, they do have public what are called public hearings before the legislative session, but those are really just um, opportunities for the public to come and say how they feel about redistricting and what should be happening in their communities. But there's no back and forth with lawmakers. There's no report issued. There's no, um, there's nothing that's done with the public after maps are created to go back and say, Hey, what do you think about these maps? How do you think this impacts your community? It's all done behind closed doors. And when it comes out, You know, lawmakers are already voting on something they've probably seen, but the public has had very little time to look at. And so could you just talk through what regions of the state are in question in your lawsuit? Yeah, so we're we're not asking the uh, court to throw out the entire map uh, for the Senate and the House. We're we're asking the court to consider creating additional uh, majority black districts or creating additional districts where black or minority voters can have influence and areas like the Golden Triangle, um, here in Hines County, DeSoto County, uh, Hattiesburg, and also on the Gulf Coast, and a couple other spots, maybe in East Mississippi and Southwest Mississippi. 
And I was reading through the complaint, and it says that incumbents, irregardless or disregardless of race, uh, benefited from this redistricting. Could you just talk through that a little more? On both sides, Democratic and Republican lawmakers essentially created districts that made them safe. Elected officials chose what voters they wanted as opposed to putting together a map that was more fair for everyone across the state. This is how you get an election like we had in 2023, where there are very few incumbents facing general election opponents because those incumbents in the legislature drew maps that favored them, that they knew they would have a really good opportunity to be reelected. And that was their main focus, not on the needs of the state. Their their focus was making sure they got back to the Capitol. And so the lawsuit, is it it's seeking injunctive relief relating to a certain number of districts in those regions that you listed off previously? Yeah, we're asking the court to allow for um, the Mississippi legislature to go back and correct the maps in a couple of different, a few different areas uh, and allow for some special elections to go forward later this year. Um, we're not asking for the entire map to be thrown out. We're just asking for the court to consider some specific areas in the state where we, we say there's like outrageous gerrymandering or packing that is, exists that really creates an unfair uh, voting situation for black voters in Mississippi. And so this lawsuit is currently in federal court and it's it's seeking injunctive relief along constitutional grounds. Could you just elaborate on that a little more? Yeah, so under the Voting Rights Act and the Constitution, um, you can sue to um, a layer that the state is um, – uh, the state has an opportunity to create districts that can provide um, opportunities for minorities to get elected or to elect, uh, vote, to elect a candidate of their choosing. And in Mississippi, despite the fact that we have a state population that is – 44% minority, we have um, legislative districts that don't really match that percentage, right? They, they, we have legislative districts that are either super black or super white, and they're, they're, they're drawing that way to make it harder for black voters to have influence across districts that, even if they don't have the majority um, per se, they don't have an influence in that area because they have been packed into a select number of districts where their their vote it's only influential in that area you said that you've been experiencing this and or you've been witnessing this in mississippi for 20 years if not more um with that being said and within that context how likely do you think it is that a federal court will will view your case favorably yeah i mean we've um there have been a lot of these lawsuits going across the country um especially in the south and even um, I know a lot of people, one of the reasons our lawsuit um, is probably a few months behind is because everyone was waiting for the decision out of the U.S. Supreme Court on whether or not the Voting Rights Act was going to continue to go forward. Um, the Supreme Court said it would and that that protection is still there for black voters. So we've seen across the country that there's been a lot of success when these challenges are brought. Um, we think we have a strong case. We think that that's a lot of, uh, if you look at the maps and if the court considers the history of the state and looks at the way these maps are drawn, that they can see that they were drawn with the intent of making it harder for black voters to be able to select uh, a candidate of their choice. Jarvis George is executive director for the ACLU of Mississippi. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.